And so tonight we have come to our final evening in what is a short series, thinking about what it means to grow in grace. And what we have done, instead of trying to work our way through the whole of this book, we are taking snapshots from this book that has been written by Sinclair Ferguson. And remember the bigger picture of what's going on here. This is a book um, that every family in our congregation has received. Um, it's a book that we're encouraging people to make use of in the coming days, in the coming weeks. It would be great for you to do that. And it is a book that we as a Kirk Session have taken on as a project, along with Christoph, with uh, EMF, and having it translated into Polish, so that hopefully very soon, hopefully by the new year, this book will be available in Polish, and Christians in that country will be able to benefit as they read these great words of Sinclair Ferguson. And if you have been tracking with this series and this book, hopefully you will have realized that there is a great central truth in what Sinclair Ferguson is saying. And he is telling us that growing in grace means becoming like Jesus. So if we are trying to understand what it means to grow in grace, that is essentially what it is. It's becoming more and more like Jesus. We thought about that as well when we had our spiritual health check. The same kind of idea applies. If we want to, to be spiritually healthy, then we will be Christ-like. We will be more like our Savior and our Lord Jesus. And we need to understand this, that God's work in the life of His people is to make them more like His Son, and we can't emphasize that enough. So, so far, we have thought about how Jesus grew in grace, and that might have come as a surprise to some people to hear that, but we considered how Jesus is a man just like us, a, a person just like us, the one who is fully God and fully man. And as a man, just as He grew physically, there was also this growth in grace in His life that Luke actually records for us in his gospel in chapter 2. Then last week, we thought about how our growth in grace is very much linked to the fear of the Lord, and we considered this whole idea of fearing God, and we saw that this is actually a positive, not a negative. How do we make sense of that? Well, sense comes when we realize that in the Bible and in life, there are two types of fear. On the one hand, there is what could be described as servile fear, and that is the kind of fear that a slave would have of a tyrannical servant. It's that kind of cowering fear. What's going to happen next? How am I going to be punished by this person who has it in for me? But the, the fear that is a good fear the fear that should be present in the lives of God's people as they fear the Lord is what can be described as a filial fear. It is a fear that a child has for a loving father, for a loving parent. And we saw these two types of fear side by side in Exodus 20, verse 20. Remember that in that chapter, 
there is this display of shock and awe from God that as He gives the law to the people, that giving of the law is accompanied by this display of His majesty, His might, His greatness, His awe, and the people are absolutely terrified. So that Moses tells the people words coming from the Lord in Exodus 20, 20, do not be afraid. And there Moses is talking about the wrong kind of fear, servile fear. He continues, God has come to test you so that the fear of God, this time it is that right kind of fear, that filial fear, will be with you to keep you from sinning. And it's this right kind of fear, if you want to describe it like this, this good fear that should be present in the life of God's people. It's so important. We need to understand that to grow in grace means to grow in our fear of the Lord. And this fear will increase as we consider more and more what God is like and what He has done for us in Christ. And when it comes to to, to growing in grace, we need to, to find examples to follow, don't we? Because sometimes we wonder, what exactly does it look like in our lives? What would this be like for me in the week that lies ahead, and indeed for the rest of my life as a Christian, if I was someone who was seen to be growing in grace? And we know that in, in various walks of life, in professions, maybe professions and walks of life that some of you are involved in, we hear people talk about best practice and examples of best practice so that we, we look to see how other people are doing something well, and we seek to learn from that. You might imagine I go online to listen to sermons to see what I can be doing better. I don't actually do that, but lots of people in professions are obligated to do that, that you have to go and sit through sessions and you're showing these examples of best practice. But when it comes to growing in grace, here is the really good thing, the encouraging thing. The Lord blesses us with examples of best practice within His Word. And one such example is Daniel. We've been reading from the book of Daniel tonight, I would hope at some point in the future to look at the book of Daniel in a more detailed way, but it has to join the queue. In terms of the Old Testament at the moment, it's probably vying along with Ruth, Esther, and Job. So, we'll see how that all kind of shakes down over the next year or so, God willing, and we'll see where Daniel fits in to that over the next year or two. But tonight, we're going to consider the man himself. Because in Sinclair Ferguson's book, right at the end, he is one of three people, along with Peter and Timothy, who Sinclair Ferguson uses as examples of growing in grace. And tonight, for a few moments, as we look at Daniel together, I want you to keep two questions in mind. First of all, what did a life of growth in grace look like in Daniel's case? And how did that growth come about in his life? And I don't know to what extent you know Daniel or know of Daniel tonight. I would imagine that many of us 
heard of Daniel in Sunday school, and the Daniel that we will have in mind from our Sunday school days or our junior church days will be a man of prayer, and he was certainly that. We will think of Daniel, that man of prayer. Daily he prayed three times. We'll probably also think of Daniel as being brave, as being courageous, and we always heard that challenge at enrollment services and other occasions to dare to be a Daniel. But actually, if you were to take time to read your way through the book of Daniel, and it's quite a complicated book to get to grips with because there are lots of different things going on, and sometimes it's not immediately obvious what is happening in a chapter because it can go from an account of what's going on in Daniel's life to a prophecy that he received from the Lord to a prayer that he's praying. And we need to unpick that carefully if we take time to look at the whole book. But if you were to actually single out from the book what we learn about Daniel's life, the most striking thing about this man is his consistency. That in the case of Daniel, we see a lifetime of faithful service and obedience to the Lord. And you would have to say that consistency is not a hot topic in Christian circles today. You don't go to many conferences or find many books or attend many courses that are about consistency in the Christian life. You don't walk into most Christian bookshops and find right at the top of the bestseller list how to be a consistent Christian. In fact, we are much more about drama today. We're much more about dynamism. We want everything to be exciting and unpredictable and all the rest of it. But what did this consistency, or to give it its more biblical word, what did this faithfulness look like in Daniel's life? Well, some things to note about Daniel in terms of his growth and grace. The first is this, he prioritized holiness. Holiness was a really big thing in Daniel's life. And what I need you to understand is that this holiness was not a pie-in-the-sky type thing. It was not something that was really abstract and unrelated to Daniel's life. No, you could describe it as being a very practical holiness, a lived-out holiness. And we see it right back at the beginning of the story of his life in chapter 1, verse 8. And there we, we read of a young Daniel, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. You see, Daniel's guiding principle was this, nothing that would displease the Lord would have any place in Daniel's life. It was as basic as that for Daniel. Nothing that would displease the Lord would have any place in his life. And in this specific example that we have here in chapter 1, well, if you think about Daniel's circumstances at this point, he and his fellow nobility, because he was someone of really noble birth in Judah, 
he and his fellow nobility had been carried away into exile in Babylon. He was part of an elite who were set apart to serve the king in the royal palace, right at the heart of the Babylonian empire. And that inevitably brought Daniel into contact with unclean food, food that was linked to idol worship. What would have happened is that before this food was taken at feasts in the royal palace, it would have been dedicated to a false god. And Daniel was really clear in this. There was no compromise. There was no kind of skirting around the issue. Daniel was clear that in his mind, to take food that was offered to an idol, dedicated to an idol that was not a real God, was tantamount to denying the one true living God. And so, Daniel's approach here is actually closely linked to what we were thinking about last Sunday night, this right kind of fear, this filial fear, this fear that a a child has for a loving father, that our great concern should be to do what pleases the Lord and to take steps to avoid anything that brings Him displeasure. And we see that with Daniel. He resolved to do whatever pleased his heavenly Father. So, how about you? Because this desire to please God has to be the foundation on which the Christian life is built. And I reckon we have lost sight of this. It's probably true to say that most of us do not prioritize holiness. We tend to emphasize grace, and rightly so, because grace is such a wonderful thing, and it's central to the gospel, and it's so important. But sometimes we forget our most basic calling as God's people, a calling that's stated in the Old Testament and then repeated and reiterated in the New Testament, that calling of the Lord, be holy because I am holy be godly people, be like me, be Christ-like people, be like my Son, be holy because I am holy. Daniel prioritized holiness. Then another feature of this life that was growing in grace is that Daniel started and he finished well. He started well as a godly person who was living in what was a godless society, because we got to see back there in chapter 1 that he set out his stall. He said, look, this is how it is with me, and that's just what the way things are. He took his stand back in chapter 1. He was determined to do what pleased God. And tonight, what an example that is for younger people and younger Christians here in church to prioritize holiness and to begin as you mean to go on. But the wonderful thing about Daniel is that not only did he start well, but he finished well in his walk with the Lord. I suppose our image of Daniel is of a teenager or a young man, but we actually encounter also a much older Daniel in this book, 
by the time we get, excuse me, to chapters 10 and 11. And what we get to see is that he keeps on being faithful. And so tonight, what an example that is for older people and people who have been Christians for many, many years attending here. Because we know how it can be that we can start well, that we can have a real zeal for the Lord when we first believe in Jesus. We have a sense of wonder that we have been saved and what that means for us in our life. But over time, our love for the Lord can begin to fade. And our commitment to Him can begin to wane. And the really helpful thing as we read the book of Daniel is that we're provided within that book with a timeline because at the beginning of many of the chapters, there is reference made to the rulers of the day and the year in which their reign is taking place. And when you piece all of that together, you begin to do the mass and work out the years. So that if you look at chapters 9 and 10, by that stage, the Persians have replaced the Babylonians. There's been regime change. And Cyrus, the great Persian emperor, appoints Darius to rule the specific area of Babylon where Daniel lives. And by the start of their reign and their rule, which is mentioned here at the start of this chapter, we can work out that Daniel was 80 years old when the events of chapters 9 and 10 take place. And so, what did his life look like in old age? Well, look at the start of chapter 9 again. In the year, the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the Scriptures, according to the word of the Lord, given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. Now, we'll come back to this in a moment, but just note for now that in his old age, Daniel was not only still reading God's Word, he was studying God's Word in a deep way. He was understanding new things from God's Word. And then it continues in verse 3, I turned to the Lord God, I pleaded with Him in prayer and petition and fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. And you can decide tonight where you fit in that spectrum of age in our congregation. But think about this, and especially if there happens to be anybody here tonight who is approaching that age of Daniel, getting towards 80 or even beyond 80. What an amazing example. Is this what your life looks like? We love to see believers who start well, but I've got to say, I really love to see believers who finish well. And how did Daniel grow in grace? It's not a surprise that there are so many similarities between him and what we heard of the Lord Jesus and how Jesus himself grew in grace and in wisdom. One thing to say about Daniel was he was a man of prayer. So, the wee song gets it right, by the way. That chorus 
is a good chorus to sing. And what we read of Daniel shows that prayer was not merely an activity in his life, something that he engaged in. You could say of Daniel that prayer was his life. That here's someone who understood what it means to to live in God's presence. And having said that, he did discipline himself to pray. You see this discipline present at every point of the book and every period of his life. You see that he engaged in corporate prayer back in chapter 2 when he and his friends were under threat at the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. You see that he prayed privately, for example, the prayer that we were reading together a while ago in chapter 9. And we get to see the pattern of prayer in Daniel's life in chapter 6, verse 10, when King Darius issued a decree that people could not pray to anyone else except him. But what happens with Daniel? Look at chapter 6 and verse 10. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. And when some people read that about Daniel praying with that kind of meticulous regularity three times a day, you might begin to think of Daniel, well, that's kind of legalistic. That's how it might be described by people today. Was Daniel some kind of Pharisaic person where he felt the need to pray by clockwork on these occasions each day? But when you look at Daniel's life, There's no sense in which prayer was a bind or a burden to him. To be in the presence of the Lord was not a bind for Daniel. And so, believer in Christ, as you grow in grace, here's a big lesson from Daniel's life. Disciplined, regular prayer results in a closer relationship with the Lord, and that in itself produces a greater desire to pray. So, don't just pray when you feel like it. Form a habit of daily prayer. But then the other thing about Daniel was he was a student of God's Word. And early in his life, he demonstrates a real knowledge of God's Word. If you look, for example, at Daniel chapter 2, and verses 21 and 22, what he declares of the Lord shows an intimate knowledge of God's character. He says of the Lord in Daniel 2, uh, 21, he changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness, and light dwells with him. And then again, late in life, at the age of 80, he is still studying the Scriptures. He is still discovering those fresh insights. So, if you look more carefully then at chapter 9 and verse 2, he says, I understood from the Scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem 
would last 70 years. In other words, it was by carefully studying the Word of God that Daniel came to an understanding that the exile, this terrible time in the history of God's people, was coming towards an end. Sometimes we describe and we think about God's Word as being a treasure trove, but it would be more accurate to describe it as a deep, deep, deep mine of precious stones. There is still more to be found. There is still more to be gained by time spent in God's Word. So, make time to do that, to to spend time drawing from it if you want to grow in grace. But the final thing to say of Daniel and his growth in grace is that ultimately Daniel understood God's love for him. You see, now as we come to the end of this little series, Grow in Grace, I truly hope and I pray that you get the main point of this series and through careful reading, you get the main point that Sinclair Ferguson is making in this book. Because the great danger, and there is a real danger in this, with courses and series of sermons and books that help us to grow in our Christian life, is that we begin to think that it is all about us. And don't get me wrong, there is much benefit in courses and books and series like this one. Otherwise, we would not have given the money that we're giving to have this translated into Polish. Otherwise, we wouldn't take time to hand out this book to every family in our congregation. Otherwise, I would not be standing here preaching this particular sermon and series tonight. But it would be so easy to have a series like this and to come to the conclusion, I must do better. I must try harder. I must pray more. I must read the Bible more. And indeed, that is true. There is an encouragement from God's Word to be earnest and unceasing in prayer, to be diligent in studying and in drawing from God's Word. Absolutely. But here's the danger. Then it becomes all about me. It becomes all about my effort and what I can do, and then that leads to pride, and it leads to a misunderstanding of the gospel. Because to grow in grace is to grow in our knowledge of the gospel. The emphasis is not on what we need to do, but what God has done for us in Christ. And we get to see this right understanding in Daniel's life. His prayers show that he understood and he appreciated the immense love that God had for him and his people. So, if we look back at that prayer again that we read in Daniel chapter 9, and how it begins in verse 4, O Lord, the great and awesome God, and this is the bit, who keeps his covenant of love, with all who love Him and obey His commands. Sinclair Ferguson puts it like this. He says that God's love 
is the most awesome thing about him. That's a, that's a, a brilliant thing to hear. And to hear it from someone of his wisdom and his experience and his insight into Scripture, we've got to heed that. God's love is the most awesome thing about him. And some of us find that hard to grasp and hard to accept in our lives. I know speaking to people how some people struggle with a sense of the love, the immense love that God has for you in Christ. And it's truly understanding and embracing that love of our Father that will cause us to grow in grace. It's a love that is demonstrated in how He rescues His people through His Son. And even here in the Old Testament, even here in the book of Daniel, we are given a wonderful glimpse of this. Because if you look at chapter 3, when Nebuchadnezzar builds that huge golden idol, and when the people are ordered to bow down and worship it, Daniel and his friends as faithful Jews, as faithful people of God, know that they cannot and they will not do such a thing. So that in chapter 3, briefly, the action switches away from Daniel and it moves on to his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which a bit like this morning and what we were reading in Acts is a great reminder, Daniel is not the hero of this story. God is, the Lord is. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown into a powerful furnace, but they come to no harm. Why not? Well, look at Daniel 3.24. King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement, and he asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. In verse 25, he said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. And we know, don't we? We know that the fourth man was Jesus, standing with his people, delivering them. It, it sets the pattern. It lets us see who Jesus is and what he's like. He's the hero of the book, not Daniel, as impressive as Daniel is, as much as we can learn from this man of God. And knowing and valuing what he has done for you is the ultimate way in which you will grow in grace. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the wisdom of people who have written books and developed courses and preached from your word in order that we would understand your word better and apply it to our lives we are truly thankful for these means of grace. But Lord, tonight, 
we realize that no course, no sermon, no book, no matter how good its content, will in of itself change us and enable us to grow in grace. That such growth needs to be by the work of your Holy Spirit within us. It needs to be your good work. And its basis must be an understanding of the gospel, a great appreciation of the immense, awesome love that you have for us in Christ. We thank you, our Father, for giving us your Son. And we pray that our love for him would intensify and deepen as we come to understand more fully the extent of his love for us. In his name we pray. Amen.